pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we open up your word, that you give us a concentration to um, allow the spirit to dialogue within our hearts. God, let us never be guilty, but especially not tonight, of being guilty of knowing you like the devil does. I pray that these words that I say would help us to have an intimate love for Jesus, to have a practical walk with God, to know what it means to be a Christian in this world. Jesus, thank you for these middle, excuse me, these high school students. Bless us now. Amen. Apologize for that. Um, king David was the greatest king Israel had. Uh, he's considered uh, in the book of Acts as a man after God's own heart. Right? It was David's idea that he wants to build a house for the Lord. And there's, there's so many cool stories about King David, but a story that is mostly known about David is that David one time, during war season, kind of got bored, came back to Jerusalem. One night, he is wandering the rooftops of Jerusalem, and he sees a pretty girl. Her name is Bathsheba. Knowing that she's married, knowing that she is not his wife, he sends over some of his royal officials, and he brings her back to his place, and he sleeps with her, And then upon finding out a little while later that she had become pregnant. David, now trying to fix his situation, try to get her husband to sleep with her, to make it seem like it would be his baby. That wasn't working. Uriah had good character. And so what ended up happening is that David told some of the uh, army officials that, hey, when you go out to battle, pretty much go out, lean to the front, and fall back, and then, then he'll die. And so Uriah died. And David went on for a little while, ignoring this, that he had committed adultery, and that he had, in essence, murdered a man to cover up this affair. And the story goes on that a little while later, the prophet Nathan comes to David. And Nathan's like, hey, David, I, I want to tell you a story. David's sort of like, I love stories. Let's hear the story. There is a, a rich man who had thousands of cattle and sheep, and he had so much of his own, and he was very, very wealthy. And there was this other man who was poor. And this man, he had one little sheep. But he loved this sheep so much. He took care of this sheep. He had one sheep. Well, one day, a visitor came to visit this rich man. And as the custom was, you would go out and you would slaughter one of your animals and you would serve it to your guests. But this rich man looked at the one little sheep that the poor man had, and he went and he took that sheep and he killed it and he butchered it and he served it up to his guest. And it says that in the middle of the story, David became furious, livid. And he demanded that that man must pay back four times what is owed to that poor man, which is the custom of the law, actually. And then on top of that, he says, that man should die. And the prophet, Nathan, gives his famous words, you are the man, David. And his eyes were opened. Isn't it much easier 
to see someone else's sin rather than your own? David could easily see the sin of this other man, but thinking about his own sin, he couldn't until the prophet Nathan made him aware of his sin. And isn't it true that we want to be judged by a different scale than what we use against other people all the time? Even among Christians, we are quick to find fault with one another and not in ourselves. And so even a question I have for you tonight as we look at this passage in Sermon on the Mount is are you more concerned with your own sin more than the sin that someone else might be doing to you or a sin that someone might be committing to God? Are you careful to be more concerned about your own issues with God than any other issues someone might have against you or against God? Well, let's read Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, and see what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I'm convinced that Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, is one of the most needed and one of the most abused verses in the Bible. So many Christians know this verse, and the second they're in a conversation where it seems like someone might have something against them, or things aren't really going their way, or they're feeling like they might be pressured into doing something, they throw up their walls and they say, hey, 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 don't judge lest you be judged. Don't judge me. And it seems like people, even in the world, seem to sometimes know this verse. Don't judge lest you be judged. That's the Bible I read from growing up, knowing that verse. Don't judge lest you be judged. You can't judge me. It's funny hearing a pastor, he says, a lot of people only want to seem to have three verses in their Bible. Three verses. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not lest you be judged. John 8, 7. Let him without sin cast the first stone. And 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Hey, don't judge me. Don't tell me to live my life. You know, the first one that does the stone is the one who's without sin. God is love. So pretty much what they're saying is, hey, don't tell me how to live my life. God is love. He's fine with what I'm doing. Don't judge me. And something is when we come to this passage, this verse that gets thrown out a lot by Christians, and let's not really listen to it. Let's just say, oh, okay, here it comes. Every good youth group message has to come once in a while. Don't look at the other person and judge them and don't look down upon them because they're not like you. But my outline is simple tonight. I don't want to beat the nail on the head too much, but 
Here's what I want to look at. I want to look at what doesn't this mean? What is Jesus trying not to say? And then, what does Jesus mean by this verse? Judge not lest you be judged. So the first thing is that Jesus does not mean that we should ever suspend the rule of law. So Romans 13 talks about that, how God has given us governing authorities in order that they can actually put down the sword and punish evil and be a way where society can grow and prosper. So you think, do not judge. Well, people are judged every single day. It's called a courthouse, right? There's evidence against you. People saw. There's a camera video showing that you threw a brick through that jewelry store and you stole that. Now comes the hammer. You get your sentence. You've just been judged. Jesus is not saying, and as some Christians historically have thought, that there can be no judgment ever given at all. That's not what Jesus is saying. And also, it does not mean that we can't ever come to someone with an issue that they're doing. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 talks about church discipline. What do you do when someone inside your church is out sinning? Well, first, what you're supposed to do, pray about it. But then you approach that person. You say, hey, I've noticed some things. I saw you behind the high school. You're doing some kind of drugs. Like, if they don't listen, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to get two or three other people, and you bring them with. And if they won't repent, eventually... Bible says you have nothing to do with him. But that is a case in which we are told to bring a charge against somebody. You're doing something wrong. But really what Jesus is trying to tell you as high schoolers, trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian, is to not turn your brain off. Do you realize that you live in a culture where they want you and they demand that you be tolerant of everything. If you ever so think that you would disagree with someone's lifestyle or someone's sexual orientation or whether or not they're a male or a female, you are wrong. And Jesus is trying to say, first thing here, you as Christians are not to be simpletons simple-headed. Hey, whatever goes, you know, I'm not going to judge. You live your life however you want. I'm going to do my own thing. That is not what Jesus is trying to tell us to do. We're not told to throw up all moral judgments. We're not told to not care about obeying the law. In fact, if if you even look down a little bit at verse 15, In chapter 7, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So I'd be with a friend in college, and we'd be talking about a friend of ours, and like, kind of in a sad way, and praying for this person. Well, hey, uh, I think so-and-so walked away from the faith. Really? What happened? You know, he, just, he ditched Bible school, and now he's living with his girlfriend, and on his Facebook, he says he's atheist now, and he just doesn't know the Lord. Well, hey, man, we shouldn't judge. Um, that, I, didn't, I didn't judge him. Like, no, man, we, we can't make assumptions about people like that. So wait, wait, you're telling me that he's living in conscious sin. On his Facebook, he says he's an atheist, and you want to say, we can't judge. 
See, that's, that's the very opposite thing of what Jesus is trying to say. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. As Christians, we have the Word of God to allow us to have this one big word. Discernment. As Christians, we get to have discernment. Right and wrong is black and white. But using wisdom and discernment is never going to be black and white. So in verse 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. So you might think here, okay, pigs. Well, I love bacon, and I love pulled pork sandwiches, and I love my dog, right? So I don't know, maybe that's the picture you get when you think of dogs and pigs. But in fact, those two images, those two characters that Jesus introduces, are known typically to be actually very bad images. In fact, a dog typically back then was just just mangly and just wasn't really domesticated well. They're just wild beasts and, you know, they kind of like just sometimes, you know, you watch your dog, it throws up and it goes back to it and you're like, what in the world? <laughs> like, it's a dog. Like, it is... Don't think of your cute little puppy, you know. Think of like a nasty, like growling at you, stealing your kid's toys type of dog, right? And a pig was actually known to be, in the Jewish community, the most unfilthy animal of all. Do you know why? Because you'd give it a bath, and you'd clean it up, and it'd go right back into its mud pit. And so there's a really important lesson here in verse 6. Do not give dogs... What is holy? Do not give dogs what is holy. So we're talking about the context of not judging people. Of not being quick to give them judgment. So in one sense, we can't be, you know, we can't be too quick to judge people. We gotta be gracious. But at the same time, Jesus is saying that doesn't mean you are just tolerant of everything and you let anything go. He's talking about right now the preciousness of the gospel. The pearl, right? So if you look at Matthew chapter 13, the man who found the pearl, what did he do? He went and sold everything he had and he went back and he bought the pearl because the pearl was so valuable. And the same thing, the pearl, the gospel, the word of God which we have isn't something where we just take to anyone every single time. So you might have a friend, you share the gospel with them one time, and they're completely shut off. They say, that stuff is garbage. I want nothing to do with it. Who cares about that stuff? So maybe you pray some more, you think of some things that they might have, you might have talked about, and you come back to them again and you say, hey man, I, I just really feel like... And they say, you know, just stop. I don't want to hear any of that fairy tale garbage that you're trying to force down my throat. You're just trying to judge me and control my life. Washing you. Yeah, that's right. I'm watching you. And Jesus is trying to say something here. Listen, like, if you are going to share the gospel with someone, if you have a pearl, you don't throw it in the mud where the pig is. You don't give it to the stray dog. You cherish it. And in the same way, what Jesus is trying to warn us of is we don't just give the gospel, we don't continue to talk to someone who's just a mocker of the gospel. 
There are some people in their life right now where they are so unwinsome, they are so unapologetic about not believing in Jesus that in essence we are giving something so valuable to someone who is in essence spitting on it. So, oh, but we can't judge, you know, that person. They might hear something and they might uh, think about it later. He's saying, don't judge. But at the same time, use discernment. There is someone in my life right now who I recently shared the gospel with them. They heard it. Try to bring it up again. I don't want nothing to do with that. In that discernment decision that I am making is I will continue to pray for that person. I will never write a person off. But I will not try to sit down and talk about Christ with them. At this point in life, it would, it's it's defiling the gospel to try to force it down someone's throat. So this is important for us. Why? Because sometimes we get really careful about making sure that we don't tell anyone that they're bad. About being really careful about, hey, you know, like, I, I, don't, I don't want to tell you how you live your life, but maybe I just noticed a few things and that person blows up and then we never want to say anything again. As Christians, don't forget this. You are not simple-headed people. You get to make judgment calls. You at some times need to discern with the Spirit, should I share the gospel with this person? Should I judge them in a way where like, you know what, at this point in my life, it would be foolish for me to say something. Maybe all I can do right now is pray for them. That is what Jesus is not wanting us to do. Look at sin, look at people's decisions, look at people in this room, how they live in their life, and say, hey, I can't say anything, I can't judge. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what does he mean? What does Jesus mean by saying, judge not, lest you be judged? Well, what, it, what Jesus is trying to say, one thing, is that the measure that you use to judge people be the measure that is used against you. In essence, how do you size up to other people? I, I, I'm, I, two nights ago, I was talking with my wife. You know, it's, it's very clear that right now, in our country, we are not doing well with issues of race. I mean, it started last fall, you know, Ferguson, Missouri... Um, Eric Gardner in New York, riots in Baltimore, all over what? Race. All over race. One of the hallmarks of the American justice system is this one line. You are innocent until proven guilty. Right? We have that, you know, you might have allegations against you, Maybe you have evidence against you, but you are not guilty until you go through a trial with a jury of your own peers, right? But what's the problem with that sometimes? I think there's people in our country who think that's not true. I'm not always assumed to be innocent. If you live on the south side of Chicago... Cops 
I'm sure don't always assume that everyone is innocent. Some people are assumed to be guilty because of their skin color. Would you want to be assumed guilty because of the color of your skin? It's a little bit of what Jesus is trying to say here. The way we judge people, the way we sometimes do make decisions and label people needs to be the same way that we do it to other people. So, don't speak until you listen. Don't judge until you've heard all sides. I thought a lot... I want you guys to know something really quick. This message is extremely hard to live. I almost feel guilty talking about it. Pre, I, I, no, I, I do feel guilty talking about it. you know why? Because I do not live this message perfectly by any means. So think about for a second. If you, if you were in a criminal case in your own community, how would you want people to judge you? And I, I thought about this question a lot this week. If I was in a criminal case in Olympia or in Tumwater, how would I want people to judge me? I would want people to hear me out. I would want people to get to know me. I'd want them to see me Aaron holistically, not just have some small, narrow window of who I was and trying to determine if I was a good person or not. I want them to actually know who Aaron James Garness was. I would want them to give me the benefit of the doubt. I would want people to deal with facts and not gossip and rumors and things that might be true. I want them to deal with the facts. I would want people to try to understand why I feel hurt or upset. I would want a fair hearing. I would want legal counsel. I would want people to consider that maybe they also have something wrong in their own life. I would want people to speak respectively to me and about me. I would want people to remember that I am made in the image of God. Isn't that why we're supposed to treat people with dignity? Because they're made in the image of God? Isn't that why we care about the unborn child? Because it is the image of God. And if you're made in the image of God, you therefore have dignity and you have worth and you have respect because you're endowed with the likeness of your creator? Now think about for a second. Do you do those things to other people? You see something they might write on Twitter, oh man, that person's not walking with God today. You see them for a second hanging out with some people at school who maybe aren't the best. Or you see something, or you hear something, and what do you do? You make judgments. You at times write that person off. Do you deal with the facts? Do you get to know that person? Do you give the, the people the benefit of the doubt? Is this the measure you use on people? Because Jesus says, if you go around and you just make judgments on people, you don't give them the benefit of the doubt, you don't pray about them, that is the measure that will be used on you. Too many times I have made a person out to be who I thought they were because I heard one thing about them from a different person. I judged that person based off of something I just heard. I did not give that person the benefit of the doubt. I did not check all the facts. I did not get to know them. 
And I think Jesus is being funny here for a second, right? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Thinking that you're walking around like a two-by-four two out of your eye, you know? Like, it's like moving around, you like hit things with it, you know? And you know, like say, you know, Gwen over here has a two-by-four sticking out of his face, and you know, I'm like, oh, I got some dust in my eyes, moving some boxes. Like, hey, let me help you with that, man. Like, isn't that silly? Like, shouldn't you, like, you need medical attention. You need to like, worry about yourself right now. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, the guy with the glass eye, and they, like, they get, like, silverware in the cannon, they shoot it, and then, like, the fork sticks to his eye, and he's, like, blinking with it, you know? We judge people. We make assumptions about people. When in fact, we're the biggest problem. C.S. Lewis has this really interesting article. Um, it's called The Problem of X. The Problem of X. So imagine someone in your life who you, you have a problem with. That person is X, okay? So you say, the problem with X, whoever that person is, is she uses social media too much. Well, the problem with X is that she watches too much TV. Or she sleeps too much. Or she hangs out with the wrong person. Or the problem with X is, is he doesn't read his Bible enough. The problem with X is that he has his priorities all wrong. The problem with X is that he is wasteful and neglectful. Blah, 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 blah. Everyone here, I'm sure, May has been a short month so far. It's been, what, four days in? Three days in. So tomorrow's Star Wars Day. Represent. May the fourth be with you. Um... I am sure, I'm maybe not 100% positive because it's only been three days. Most of us have said, well, the problem with so-and-so is they can't dance. So that's why I'm not going to the problem with them, you know. The problem is, and this is what C.S. Lewis says. While you are sizing someone else up, while you are determining what the problem with that person is, is that somebody... Is probably doing that to you. Rather, you are somebody's ex. In the Christian life, we need to realize this one thing, that the biggest problem is always going to be yourself. Your biggest problem is going to be yourself. Do you see your sin first and more displeasing to God than the sin that anyone is committing against you or committing against God. It is hard for me to watch my friends' lives via Facebook, mostly, seeing them walk away from God, living with their girlfriends, you know, pictures about partying, and, and for me not to be like, I just want that person to come back to the Lord and I want I have compassion for them and I feel sorry for them and I pray for them. But first and foremost, am I more so concerned about my own sin? That's what Jesus tells us to do. G.K. Chesterton, I kind of like this story a lot. The London newspaper wrote out a question. It says, what is wrong with this world? And they asked readers to send back their their answers, and G.K. Chesterton, uh, to the question of what's wrong with the world, said this, I am what's wrong with this world. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. 
before we go around making assumptions about people, before we say, man, that person, man, they're going nowhere quick. Or that person, man, they need prayer. Man, they're struggling. See that person? Man, bad things. Before we ever judge someone or label them as they need help, we need to see our own sin clearly. One last thing. Sometimes when we come across this passage, we leave reading this feeling that we're afraid to ever confront someone about sin. And Jesus is not intent for that. Sometimes criticism, even harsh criticism, is very needed. Sometimes people need tough love. And I want to tell you something. If the requirement to tell someone else that they're doing something wrong was that you had to be perfect, no one could ever do that. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. If you're going to live for me, if you're going to love other people, you need to be sympathetic. You need to care about that person. You need to constantly be evaluating your own heart, fixing the sin in your life, and then caring for those around you. Just because I am guilty of doing this often does not mean I don't have the right and the privilege to stand before you and to tell you to do the same. That you need to do this. What does Matthew 22 tell us? Does anyone know what passage in Matthew 22? If you're in Sunday school, you should know this. Jesus summarizes the law, right? He summarizes the whole Bible in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this is what this boils down to. Loving your neighbor. Loving the people in this room. Do you love the people in this room enough to give them the benefit of the doubt? Do you love the people in this room to consider what might they be going through at this point before we sit there and we just throw around stories about the problem with such and such as this? Lastly, do this one thing for me. Think of the most difficult relationship you have in your life right now. Like it's just tough. It's hard. Think of that, that, the most difficult relationship that you have in your life. And do this. Think about whether or not you might have the plank sticking out of your own eye. And there are times in my marriage or my wife and I, sometimes we get into conflict. It's hard to, to sit there and say, okay, I was wrong. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said it like that. And it takes, it, it seems like someone needs to take the first little baby step. Whether it's her or it's I, someone says, you know what? Hey, like, I, I don't like the way that went. You know, it's just a small little step. Maybe the other person says, yeah, you know, I kind of kind of wish that would have gone a little better. What are you thinking about? And we kind of like slowly start to, to make our progress. Right? But it seems to me at the times where I can go to someone and say, you know what, I, I'm sorry, I have to tell you something. I messed up. 
I sized you up. I judged you. I wasn't fair. I didn't consider all the facts. I didn't think about this. I didn't pray about this. And, you know, I'm sorry. And you know what? Sometimes in my marriage, when we have conflicts, I'm afraid what's going to happen. And she's going to be yeah, you were wrong. And she's going to feel like she did nothing wrong, right? And for a second, I said, I, I can't worry about that. You know, sometimes if, if you feel like if you apologize to them, it's going to make it, the pressure take it off them, and now it's just all on you. Don't worry about that. Some of you need to go up to people in your life, maybe to this one person, the most difficult relationship that you have, and say, you know what? I have judged you wrong. I have not thought about everything. I have not done this well. And what you need to do is you need to trust that God will work in the other person's life. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7 is all about this one thing. It is about your relationships. What does it look like to have relationships as a Christian? All of us make assumptions and judgments about people every single day. Sometimes those judgments need to happen. I need to know that kid in my class who's a mocker of God, I am not going to invite him to coffee and share the gospel with him. I'm going to use discernment and say I'm not going to throw the preciousness of the gospel to someone who's going to spit on it. But at the same time, I also need to be careful not to see people in this room or around the school and say, man, that person's so wicked and ungodly. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it looks like to love others, Jesus says. Let's pray. God, help us to be generous and sympathetic to those around us. God, help us to to live this message well. God, so many times we do judge people. We give judgment calls about people we've known for two minutes based on things that we heard from a third party. God, right now I pray that we would be able to love people as you see them. To love people like you have loved us. God, help us to be spirit-filled Christians who are able to discern, to have wisdom, to know when they need to protect the gospel, to know all the facts before we assume any wrong and ill thing about any Christian. God, knowing that when we judge people unfairly, that same standard will be used against us. Help us to know that every sin we commit, we will one day stand and account for. And Jesus, we thank you. This we thank you for. Your grace. That when we live this message imperfectly, which we often do, we can look to Jesus, who judged us not according to our works, but rather who loved us despite the fact that we hated you, Jesus. You are fabulous, you are wonderful, you are great, and you are kind. Help us to fall more in love with you each day. Amen.